Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. And so to get started today, we're going to answer this question with one another. Uh, what's something you consistently choose each day? Open in a question, what's something you consistently choose each day? Enjoy. We're continuing our series in the Psalms because the Psalms offer for us a diversity of voices about who God is and what God cares about in the world and what it means to be human. That again, we have Psalms that declare the beauty and the power and the glory of who God is. And we have other Psalms that say, God, I don't love the way that you're managing the world. That a third of the Psalms are lament and a third of the Psalms are praise. That the Psalms speak to the vastness, the complexity, the messiness of what it means to be human. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 50 and thinking about this idea of the power of choice. And I was at the beach um, just yesterday, in fact, and as I was there, we were in Laguna and we were parking and uh, we're sitting on some hill ready to cross the street. And I literally see out of my peripheral a man walking up carrying a giant cross literally carrying a giant cross that it's so big that he's attached a little wheel to the end of it and he's dragging it with him up this hill in Laguna and he comes and he stands right next to me and I am not dragging a cross, I am dragging a wagon filled with my children um, and all of our beach supplies and I look the man in the eye and I say, you're taking this carrying the cross thing very seriously and he doesn't really laugh uh, and he says, well, I'm doing it all for our Lord Jesus, that everyone would know what he's done for us. And I look at him very graciously and I say, good for you. And he carries his cross and he moves forward in Laguna. And I always think this, anytime I see somebody handing out tracks or the person with the bull horn in Santa Monica, letting everybody know that they're going to hell uh, while that person gets to go to heaven, or even that guy who's literally carrying a cross, is they actually believe in the thing that they believe in. They actually believe that everybody is going to hell so much so that on a Saturday morning in Laguna, instead of hauling their kids to the beach and enjoying a beautiful ocean day, they are dragging a cross around with tracks to let people know that if they do not repent, that they may burn in eternity. That person believes something and is making a choice about their beliefs. I don't agree with their beliefs, and thus I don't agree with their choices, but I admire the fact that they believe it. I don't think that all beliefs are equal, by the way. I think some beliefs are incredibly dangerous, and they can be oppressive to the people who believe them, and then the ways that those messages are passed on. But I do care about the choices that we make based on the beliefs that we have that how we follow Jesus actually matters. The choices that we make in following Jesus says something about what we believe and who we believe God to be in this world and who we believe we are as human beings. And I think this ancient poem from the past, Psalm 50, leads us into this conversation about what are the choices that we're making based off of the beliefs that we actually have. And so a little question that I have for us that I want us to be thinking about as we go through this psalm is this. In 
not this one, but the next one. How would choosing gratitude each day change your life and the world? How would choosing gratitude change your life and the world? How would choosing gratitude each day change the way that you live? If you so believed about God that God was good, if you so believed about God and what God is doing in the world, that you lived into a life of gratitude, how would that affect the choices that you've made? If you have looked at the ways that God has rescued you, saved you, cared for you, and if you've shared gratitude about that, how would that affect the actions that you make on a day-to-day basis? And I think that this psalm challenges us with that in so many different ways. And so, in order to talk about choice, we got to talk about some things. We're going to talk about Asaph. And if we can talk about Asaph, then we're going to talk about Yahweh. And if we can talk about Yahweh, then a little hype team, my friends. And if we can have a hype team, Frankie Anthony Velasquez always got my back. Can I get an amen? And you can't have a hype team without some ribs, am I right, my friends? And then if we're going to talk about some ribs, then we're going to talk about bad theology. And if we can talk about the bad theology that many of us have carried, we'll talk about Francis Bacon, not Kevin Bacon. And if we can talk about Francis Bacon, then we can get into one of our favorite Levitical offerings, the Thanksgiving offering. And if we can talk about the Thanksgiving offering, then we shall mention the name that shall not be named Donald J. Trump. I'm giving up my political ideologies here. Surprise. I know, you're shocked. Um, And then never forget, and if we can talk about that, then we can talk about two things, kids and a bri. So let's get into this. In order to do this, I want to go a little bit old school today. I'm going to read through all of Psalm 50, and then we're going to come back and we're going to go through it verse by verse like we used to do in the day. So follow along with me in Psalms. 50, a psalm of Asaph. The Lord, the mighty one, is God, and God has spoken, and God has summoned all humanity from where the sun rises to where it sets. From Mount Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines in glorious radiance. Our God approaches, and God is not silent. Fire devours everything in God's way, and a great storm ranges around God. God calls on the heavens above and the earth below to witness the judgment of God's people. Bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Then let the heavens proclaim God's justice, for God herself will be the judge." A little pause is what the interlude means. Take a breather here to be ready for this is who God is, and now this is what God has for us. O my people, listen as I speak. Hear my charges against you, O Israel, O America. I am God, your God. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? No. Do I drink the blood of goats? Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. But God says to the wicked, why bother reciting my decrees and pretending to obey my covenant? For you refuse my discipline and treat my words like trash. 
When you see thieves, you approve of them, and you spend your time with adulterers. Your mouth is filled with wickedness, and your tongue is full of lies. You sit around and slander your brother, your own mother's son. While you did all this, I remained silent, and you thought I didn't care. But now I will rebuke you, listing all my charges against you. Repent, and all you who forgot me, all of you who forgot me, or I will tear you apart and no one will help you. But give thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. So now we're going to go back through this thing, but we're going to go verse by verse. To begin, what this psalm is talking about is it's a psalm of Asaph. And now I know everybody loves a good psalm of Asaph in the morning with your morning cup of joe. And the psalms of Asaph, there's 12 of them in the psalms. There's Psalm 50, and then there's Psalm 73 through 83. And the psalm of Asaphs are all of these psalms that declare what life was like after the exile. The exile, again, for all of my good biblical scholars and students out there, is this period in the life of Israel when the Jews have been taken out of the promised land, out of a land flowing with milk and honey, out of a land that they believe that God had promised Abraham forever and ever and ever, a land in which they would have a dynasty, a land in which the temple of God would always exist. But it didn't. The land was taken from them. They no longer had a dynasty, and the temple in which they worshipped Yahweh their God was destroyed by the Babylonians and everybody's his favorite historical year, 586 BC, my friends. And in, come on, let's go. And in... People clapping for the destruction of Israel. You're sick. Um, the Babylonian captivity now is this moment where Israel writes these new stories about God, where Israel is really kind of sitting into the old stories that they had about God, and they're talking about the moments of Exodus. Remember the days, God, when we were in Egypt and you rescued us even from Pharaoh? And now they're in Babylon and they're pleading with God, would you save us, God, in the same ways that you saved us back then? And so this psalm is written after Cyrus the Great returns the people of Israel back from Babylon, back to their homeland, and even pays for a new temple to be rebuilt. And so these psalms declare, hey, remember, God is great. God did those things for you in the past. God cared for you over there. God showed up not only in Exodus, but God also showed up when you were once again in captivity. When you thought that you had hit rock bottom the first time, this was an even lower moment, and still God rescued you. That's what the Psalms of Asaph are about. That God still showed up in God's glorious radiance is the language, right? God still showed up with all of the pyrotechnics and cared for you in your greatest time of need when you thought that there would be no God at all. And it's there in that moment that God is saying to you, now you were in captivity. There were difficult things that were going on in your life. And what did you learn there? Because unfortunately, we don't learn our greatest lessons from Bali or Tahiti. We learn our greatest lessons when we're uncomfortable, when we're going through difficulty, when we're experiencing pain and loss and change, or humanity's greatest fear, the unknown. And it is in the unknown is where God shows up. And God there says, you were focused on the wrong things before. Now in this new resurrection, this new life, this new path that I have for you, let's focus on some better things so that you can make better choices for your life moving forward. These are what the Psalms of Asaph are always about. And so we move into verse one, and it says this, 
that the Lord, the mighty one is God and she has spoken and she has summoned all humanity from where the sun rises to where it sets. Again, that first word there, the Lord is actually the word for Yahweh. So it's saying this God, your God is Yahweh. This God, your God is different than all of the other gods of the other nations. This is not like the Babylonian God or the Roman God or the Greek God. This is not a God of war and a God of capitalism. This is a God who stands up and fights for the oppressed. This is a God who always hears the marginalized and the weak and the hurting and shows up for them when they think that they have nothing left. That's who Yahweh is. So Yahweh showed up for you again, and this Yahweh is once again speaking. And if God is speaking, then for us, that's a reminder, would you listen, O Israel? Would you listen, O people of God, that your God, a savior, a rescuer, the God who shows up even in the valley of the shadow of death is here with you now? Verse two. From Mount Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines in glorious radiance. Verse three. And our God approaches and she is not silent. The fire devours everything in God's way and a great storm rages around her. In verse four, she calls on the heavens above and earth below to witness the judgment of her people. In verse five, and bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. What's going on here for the people of Israel is they're being reminded again of who God is. They were being reminded that God always shows up, even when we're not anticipating it. And in a lot of these Psalms of Asaph, there's a little like hype team moment that goes on here. It's saying, yeah, we're talking about Yahweh God, and this God shows up, and even earth and the heavens proclaim who this God is. And the word here for judgment is not a word that God is sitting, making a judgment, trying to condemn you. We, we live in a world where there's a lot of these words like witness or judgment or discipline, and we think of these words with negative connotation. The Bible is not giving these words to us with negative connotation. The judgment that God is offering from the heavens and the earth here is just simply saying this, that the earth and the heavens are always witnessing your life. So whether you're playing basketball or farming or hurting somebody, they're just a witness to the actions that you've made. Just like on planet Earth now, if we so choose to have a certain kind of carbon footprint, the Earth is a witness to that reality versus if we choose to make other choices, then the Earth will be a witness to that reality. The Psalms are trying to say that God is always aware of all that is happening in our lives and that this God cares about the actions that are taking place in our lives and that this God so much much cares about this thing, that God makes covenant with us. And in the ancient world, covenant was an incredibly serious deal. So much so that in the ancient world, you would take one of your most prized possessions. You would take an animal. Now, most of us would never sacrifice our closest animal. We live in LA. Yeah, that would really cause some trouble. Uh, so think about it as your most prized possession, that you would take that cherished Tesla that you have been saving up for. And in the ancient world, you would take your prized possession, and you would cut it in two, and you would separate it on each side, and you would walk through the middle of it, and you would say to the per person that you're making covenant with, imagine this is what you would do at your marriage ceremony, you would say, may this be me if I break my covenant with you. Okay, I might not break that covenant. And in the world of Yahweh, Yahweh never asks us 
to be able to uphold the full covenant. God knows that we can't handle the full covenant. And so even in the story of Abraham, Abraham doesn't walk through this covenant that's made with God. God makes the covenant with all of humanity knowing that we can't always keep it because that's who God is. I know that's probably very different than what most of us have been taught. Most of us have been taught that there's a God up there who's incredibly insecure, and this insecure God needs us to constantly keep worshiping this insecure God because this God needs a real like boost in the morning to know that we're still there and still like praising this being. And in this story, this God is so holy, so other, so radiant and glorious that this God knows that this God is the God and that we are the mortal ones. We are the finite ones, and we are the ones that don't have, always have the ability to even honor our own word. And God says, and I show up for you for that anyways, and I'm gonna keep walking through that covenant with you because that's who I am as a God. And so God cares about who we are and the choices that we're making. We continue on in verse six. Then let the heavens proclaim God's justice for God himself will be the judge and then a pause, and then it gets to these powerful words. And it says this, oh, my people, listen as I speak. Again, what it was just saying is, listen for who God is, because God is this God who constantly shows up in your life, even when you think that God's not gonna show up. Now that we've reminded you of that reality, now listen for what God wants from you. And we can just play these verses through here. Here are my charges against you, O Israel. I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings you constantly offer, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for all the world is mine and everything in it. Uh, do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. What's going on here is there's this beautiful story where God is saying, I know you think that I need this, but I don't. And so many of us have lived with bad theology about God where we think that God wants or needs things from us and that this God is just playing some cosmic game to see if we can keep up, some cosmic game just to see if we can play by the arbitrary Santa Claus list if we're gonna be on the naughty or nice list. But that's not the story that's going on here. God is saying, I get why you're making sacrifices. These are the sacrifices that we talked about in my laws. That there are some sacrifices for Israel that were required and they would do them around certain rituals to make atonement for the things that Israel was doing. And they were reminders to Israel about their narrative. It's like when Jesus says that humanity wasn't made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for humanity. Don't confuse the two. The Bible wasn't, right? Humanity wasn't made for the Bible. The Bible was made for humanity. Sometimes the things of God, we idolatrize in a way because we so care about them that we care about the thing behind the thing. We care about the heart of the message and what's taking place. For the people of God in Psalm 50, God's saying, I didn't tell you to make sacrifices because I want to see a lot of dead goats and because I'm hungry for a barbecue. I was asking you to make sacrifices so that you would remember well the ways that I've shown up for you before. God is saying, I thought that every time you took your most prized possession and that you separated it in two, and as you walked through it, that you would be reminded, oh yes, God has shown up for me. 
Just like in my anniversary every year, it's a reminder not just to celebrate the love that I have with my wife, it's also a reminder of the difficult seasons, of the difficult years, of the times that we barely made it, and how God was faithful to us even in that, how we made choices that allowed us to get to this present moment where we could celebrate our love, that we stop, we pause, we reflect on all of what our marriage has held and give gratitude and thanks to God because there were days that we didn't know if we would get here. That's the point of it. That's the point of making the sacrifices. And God is trying to bring the people of God into this. And sometimes in every group, particularly when people become powerful, they mistake what the sacrifices are for the thing and the heart behind them. And so I grew up in an evangelical world where I was just supposed to show up to church three times a week, sing certain worship songs, make sure I always do my morning devotionals, and in doing so, I thought God was pleased. That's not why I'm doing it. That's a weird God that needs you to read for at least 30 minutes a day. Versus a God that says, no, I want you to read these things so you can be reminded of who I am and how I want you to live in the world. That's why you read these things. That's why you do these things. That's why you gather in these ways so that you can be reminded of the humanity that I have for you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will constantly say phrases like this. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. They told you to go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night. I just want to know if you're caring for the poor in your community. Those are different languages. Jesus is saying, they've told you to be so holy that you exclude everybody else and call them sinners. And Jesus says, but I say unto you, even hang out with Samaritans and care for them. That this God cares about humanity, the world, and our relationship in a very different way that oftentimes conservative religion or bad theology provides for us. That what God cares about is our practices, God cares about the ways that we engage God in this world. Francis Bacon, in 1620, wrote this amazing new scientific article. You see how I got there, by the way. The new instrument. And the new instrument was this thing that all scientists read that was talking about the power of truth in science. But he says this, it's not that truth is powerful on its own. It's only powerful if it empowers other people. If you believe something, and it's just a set of beliefs that you have in your head, but it's never something that leads you to action, then it's no good. And so many of us have been taught about God that God just wants us to memorize more Bible verses or to rearrange the theological furniture in our head. And we have been so, come so accustomed to believing some things that we have lacked the participation in action. And so it becomes easy in the world to become exclusive of other people or not to empathize with the marginalized needs. And Jesus is always leading us towards the fact of that science is powerful when it's in action. Beliefs are powerful when it's in action. Our choices are powerful when we're choosing to live them out in the real world. This is what God cares about. And so in this verse that we just had up there, coming back to us in real time, Verse 14, nope, we're gonna go back. Yep, 14. Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows that you made to the Most High. The actual words here in Hebrew are thankfulness offerings. 
that in the Levitical laws, there was all these offerings that we had to make, but thankfulness offerings, it sounds here like God just wants us to make thankfulness, and that's true, but that's actually not what's going on in the passage. There are specific types of offerings that God is asking for, and these offerings get to the heart of things, which is thankfulness. A thankfulness offering in the Levitical laws was one of the few offerings that you would make that was your choice. So there was a lot of offerings that would be made throughout all of the year in which you would make them because they fell on religious festivals, or you would make them because they were required of you. And in most of the offerings that were required, you would offer up that prized possession, and that animal would generally be placed on a fire, and it would be burnt to a crisp, and in that world, that's how you knew that God was pleased. In a thankfulness offering, you would take that animal, and you would literally crisp the outside, so to speak, of those ribs, And then you would take the rest home, you would cook it, and you would share that offering with all of your friends and family in your village. And so what God is saying here is this, I'm not hungry. I don't need your false beliefs or your false offerings. I'm not some weird arbitrary God who just needs random things just to see if you can pull it off. What I want you to do is to take that offering, to take your prized possession, to take that thing back home, and to offer it to other people. That's what real thankfulness and gratitude looks like. When you, in your deepest and darkest times, in an exile, in your exodus, in your moment of crucifixion, when you thought that you had nothing left, when you get out of that moment, how quickly we forget where we just were. This thankfulness offering is a reminder to go share your story of what you've been through, and that way you would have empathy and compassion on other human beings. You don't just have a set of beliefs for a set of beliefs, that you remind yourself of this story of salvation and this story of God so that you can share with others all the ways that God has showed up in your life. Even what Chelsea is sharing as meet an interesting person. She's sharing about how she went to NYU, who her friends became, right? That she was no longer hanging out with Christian friends or church people, which sounds like you were having a way better time then. Um, And instead, you were meeting new people, but you still get to share your gratitude from the things that that shaped you in your life. There was still this way of Jesus that compelled her. There's still a way of Jesus for so many of us that still compels us, and we don't want to be that kind of Christian, whatever it means. Well, then don't. You don't have to be, but what you can do is share gratitude for this bigger story of God that you're living into now. What you can do is share this good news of who this Jesus is. This Jesus just doesn't care about unborn babies and then doesn't care about you if you're alive. This Jesus cares about all life. This Jesus cares about poverty. This Jesus cares about war. This Jesus cares about the homeless. This Jesus cares about the marginalized. This Jesus wants to make sure that all people have health care. This Jesus wants to make sure that every single person is fed. And these are not political ideologies in and of themselves. Republicans or Democrats do not own Jesus. But your way of Jesus the way that you experience gratitude should shape the way that you engage the world, including your political vote. And now Donald J. Trump, I know you've been waiting for this. (laughs) All that I want the conservative world to admit is Donald J. Trump does not live into their values of Jesus. And I am tired of people acting as if, if you vote Republican, it lives into the values of Jesus. Donald Trump does not care about the values of Jesus. There are many Republicans who do. 
Those are not the same thing, just like there are many Democrats who do, and they are not the same thing. And so what we need to do is move away from the fact that this person somehow lives and honors the ideologies of Jesus in any way, shape, or form. He does not. And we can admit that and name that, and that should affect our choice. If we go to verses 16, it will say this, and now I'm really going to say some shit. Then call on me when you're in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. Next verse. But God says to the wicked, why bother reciting my decrees and pretending to obey my covenant? Verse 17, for you refuse my discipline and treat my words like trash. Verse 18, when you see thieves, you approve of them and you spend your time with adulterers. This is a pretty judgy statement. That's Donald Trump. We literally approve of somebody who cheats and steals and is on record being an adulterer. And let me say this with full confidence because I'm saying some shit here now. I have been an adulterer in my life. I've shared that story a thousand times at New Abbey that that was a moment where I learned from it, where I made horrible mistakes in my marriage, and I made choices in which I said that I wanna live in a different way with the actions and the beliefs that I have. What I'm saying is that sometimes we are idealizing a man because he gives us power for our political party, and we're somehow trying to fit Jesus into that box when Jesus does not fit into that box. And I know I'm getting incredibly political here, but Jesus is incredibly political. Jesus was standing up to a political Roman empire and speaking against that, saying that any time that any party, Republicans or Democrats, use their power to harm people, we, as this followers of this God, should speak up against those things. And the reason that we'll speak up against those things is because we're practicing such a life of gratitude that we're so remembering all the times that God showed up for our hardship that we're going to use our voice now to speak up for others in their time of hardship. And we're never going to allow people to use their power to oppress people. That's the way of following Jesus. Those are the actions that Jesus asks of us. That's what's going on in Psalm 50. That Psalm 50 is challenging us to speak up. Psalm 50 is saying we're going to let go of old beliefs that don't actually work for us, and we're going to step into beliefs that actually lead us towards action. And God has a word here for people when we're not living into those beliefs, and that's okay. There are moments that we need to grow up. There are moments that we need to be challenged, and there are moments in critical times in our country where we need to be confident and bold and brave to say the things that we need to say. But I also believe that that doesn't happen on social media all the time, in Facebook arguments. That doesn't happen at the Thanksgiving table when you already know where Aunt Judy stands and you're just gonna be pleasantly disappointed that she didn't change her mind. But that may be you living into being a part of a political action event and making phone calls somewhere else. That may be part of you developing friendships and relationships that cross borders and boundaries. This is why we do what we do at New Abbey all of the time. There's Republicans and Democrats here. One or the other, I'm not demonizing and I'm not um, getting behind. What I am saying is that there's a dangerous person in office that doesn't represent the values of Jesus. I didn't think I was gonna go this hard on Donald Trump, by the way, but now that I'm here and it's being recorded, I don't got anywhere to go, so let's just deal with it. <laughs> because I passionately believe in this. I passionately believe I love the church. And I love Jesus, and I'm sadly disappointed the church in Jesus is, has an equal sign between it, between church and Christianity and Donald Trump. There's not an equal sign there. This person represents something for a political party, but that does not represent everything that I believe and that I have faith in and who Jesus is and what Jesus represents for humanity. And so the thing that I care about, what Jesus constantly leads me to at any phase of my life, is constantly this life of gratitude that Jesus has constantly showed up for me and for all the people that I know in my life is that Jesus keeps showing up and caring for us in our deepest times of need. 
And so I just want to end simply with these two things. This week, would you try this stuff? One, would you practice gratitude every single week? With all of that to say, this is what I was getting to. Is I think practicing gratitude shapes our life and the ways that we engage with God and the choices that we make in the world. Because as human beings, we quickly forget. And so I don't know, is that on an Instagram story where you just talk about one thing that you're thankful for today? Is that a journal that you're going to write every morning talking about what you're thankful for for the day? Or is that a journal at night? Every night when we go to bed, my three kids, they're triple bunked in the room, by the way. We have this little conversation time where we say, what do you want to thank God for? And they each, with their cute little voices, tell God thank you for something in that day. And they remind me all of the things, the things that I forgot from just six hours ago. And it's the reminder of hearing that gratitude from their voice that asks me to live into the world in a different way. As I experience gratitude, as I hear gratitude, it asks me to show up into the world in a new and a fresh way. And so my challenge for all of us is this, how can practicing gratitude this week, how can making that choice to live into it reshape our actions? What's one action step that you can take in a world that's difficult, in a year that's difficult, to say, I'm still gonna show up with gratitude for all the ways that God keeps showing up in my life. And then number two is, once you've experienced that gratitude, maybe you're gonna notice something. Maybe you're gonna notice people who keep showing up in your life and people that you keep thanking God for. How can you share that gratitude with other people? Uh, in 2007, I spent a month in South Africa doing reconciliation work on a missions trip, as one does. Um, and when I was in South Africa, one of the things the South Africans taught us is that in that racially divided country, much like ours, there's three major racial groups. There's whites, blacks, and coloreds. Blacks and coloreds mean something different in South Africa. If you're colored in South Africa, it means you're, you're Indian or you're a mix of something, and white or black just means you're European or you're indigenous African. And those three different color groups, they are constantly at battle, and they've been entrenched um, in just systematic issues for hundreds of years. But one of the things that brings healing for that country is that they do something called the braai every week. And that is just, well, they have a barbecue where they all get together and it's having a barbecue and sharing a meal with one another in which healing happens in that country. That it wasn't some big political event that does that. It's when two people from different sides of the country get to come together and just share a meal together. They get to share in their gratitude. And my challenge to all of us who are gonna follow Jesus in 2020 with a political election that's one of the most divisive things that many of us have been through in our election just five weeks away, how can you show gratitude and invite other people into your gratitude in these next five weeks? How might that change the world if the energy that we're giving out in an election heading into 2020 is one with gratitude and grace and care and not one of divisiveness and hurt and maliciousness? I think that we have a lot of power in this world if we would choose to use that power in a way that speaks to the good things that God has done in our lives. You're going to get back into those groups and you're going to answer this question with one another. How would choosing gratitude each day change your life and the world? Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.